Hey Snow, I need your help. When we recorded the last episode with James Kibble, we had some connection issues towards the end because of Brexit. I am missing his last 10 minutes of recording. Would you mind filling the gaps by replacing James' voice in the last few minutes? Ah, thanks. I knew I could count on you. What? What is Brexit? Hang on, how to explain Brexit to a chicken? Okay, look, imagine that all the hens from all the hen houses from the different properties in the village get together and decide they will share and have rules of free exchange of the hen houses, of the corn, the grain, share the worms and the insects from the fields around so that everyone can benefit from it. Everyone gets their hen houses together, except us, the Brits, We participate, but still stay a bit apart and keep uh, some of our resources and independence from the others because uh, we esteem ourselves different. And then, after many years of collaboration, in a purely unilateral decision, we decide to leave the agreement we never truly got fully involved in and stay aside from the rest of the hands of the village. That is a bit like Brexit. It makes no sense. Of course, it doesn't. I agree. But you see, the Brits, they wouldn't be the Brits if we could understand their way of thinking. It's like when you try to talk uh, to the silk hens. You know, the big silk fluffy hens? See what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like a different species altogether. But that's why we like them, right? Okay, on with the show now. Music! Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the Vintage Head House on Fifth Street Radio. I'm your host, uh, Benoit Petit Seconds on Instagram. And uh, today we are uh, more than two in the Head House. I am very pleased to welcome as a co-host a fellow Fifth Street active member, uh, Phil, who is at PP on Instagram. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing very well, Benoit. How are you? Great, great. It's a lovely evening. I don't know if in Britain it's a sunny day, but in France it's getting really warm. It's like pre, pre-spring, pre-summer. It's uh, beautiful. It's not, but not bad here. We're not quite pre-spring yet, but uh, not quite spring, but uh, it's not bad. And uh, just uh, if you can give a quick background on who you are, because I think it's the first time you're really uh, on air. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm Pippi. I'm, uh, I'm in... in uh, England. Uh, just I live just to the west of London. Um, I, I live pretty much equally between the, uh, the head offices of Seiko and um, uh, Bremont. Um, so yeah, uh, I've been collecting watches for about four or five years, uh, mainly into Seikos. But uh, getting uh, I blame Roman, but I'm really getting far too into the um, independence. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, I, I think we all have to blame Roman. I just uh, bought a watch for, uh, again because of him. So <laughs> that's, I saw that's a cracker. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be great. And uh, as our main guest, I am very pleased to have the very friendly and always helpful James Kibble from at Kibble Watches on Instagram. How are you doing, James? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, It's exciting to be here. It's a real pleasure. Um, so um, you've had a big day today. 
like selling lots of watches and finally selling that Esca, which uh, <laughs> is a beautiful watch. Beautiful watch. I don't, I didn't understand how it didn't go faster. Yeah, I mean, it's how it goes sometimes, isn't it? You know, you pick up a watch that you think is incredible and great value and beautiful, and other people will agree, but maybe they're not ready to buy at that point, and it takes a while, and unfortunately that was one of those pieces. But today it has finally gone to a very good home, along with seven other pieces today. It has been hectic in a very good way, so I, uh, I'm i glad to be here, and I've got a cider in hand, and I'm happy. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So you're a watch dealer and collector based in London. Could you just give us a little background on how you got bit by the watchbug and uh, <laughs> how you came to to where you are now? Yeah, so I started collecting watches five years ago. It was never an intention to make any money off this at the start. Um, and I was just working a normal job and had to have the time on my wrist as opposed to my phone. So I bought a Casio and it was the best thing ever until the battery died. And I had no idea you could actually replace a battery on a watch at this point. So I went through the process of going through watch after watch after watch. And eventually I got fed up with it and started Googling for, for watches that run forever, basically. <laughs> and lo and behold, I found a vintage Citizen for £13 on eBay. It's from the 1970s, automatic movement. And from then on, I was hooked. Um, I ended up collecting about 20 of these things in all different colors and cases and everything. And I realized I had to sell a few. Um, so I started making YouTube videos about these watches and that they were for sale. And lo and behold, people bought them and I made money on each one. And I thought, you know what, there could be something here. And uh, that began the process of building the business. It's been five years in the process. Um, and I'm pleased to say it's been nearly a year and a half of being full time. We have an office in Clerkenwell um, and we're, we're doing very well. So I really can't complain, but it's been a hell of a journey and one uh, one I'm very grateful for. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's 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 kind of crazy because, you know, it's only five years ago. And that's probably roughly when I started to 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 get interested into watches. And uh, I remember I was following you at first when you were having your business as a side job. 100%. I don't really remember about the YouTube videos, but I mean, it's a head of a growth in a, in a very short time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very lucky with the way it went, really. I think there's a lot of lot of factors that go into these kind of things, a, a lot of hard work for sure. You know, as you said, I was working a full-time job whilst doing watches on the side. And back then, you know, I was working 45 hours a week, uh, sort of a normal full-time job. And I'd come home in the evenings and post these watches online and, and sell them and then go to the post office right before work or on my break. And it was this constant battle between a full-time job and uh, and the business. And, you know, it just, lo and behold, luck just came in and I met the right people at the right time who would entrust me with selling their watches on consignment. And that just helped build the capital for the company. And, you know, it just kept spiraling, really. It's like the snowball effect for sure. Yeah, really awesome. And we'll get a chance to, to dig a little deeper. But uh, first of all, we have the mandatory drink and risk check. So we'll start with uh, with drinks. So, uh, Pippi, how's your dry February going? Uh, my dry February is uh, has just ended about uh, 30 seconds ago. Um, <laughs> I decided that uh, this pod won't be going out in February, so it doesn't actually count. Um, so I've just cracked open a, a nice bottle of Cabsov, and that will uh, see me through the next at least oh, half an hour before I have to go on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> a Cabsov from France? From uh... No, it's uh, a Chilean one, actually. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm not very familiar with these. James, what's in your glass? Uh, I'm drinking, I'm a cider person, which will uh, get me a lot of hate, I'm sure, but I'm drinking a nice Henry Weston's uh, vintage cider. Nice. I'm, on my side, I've got a, 
rock will be here. And we, we're not lucky enough in Europe to be able to enjoy quite nice beer. <laughs> so I thought I'd enjoy, I, I'd enjoy a rather nice beer. And I think, Pip, uh, what do you think? Could we make this a thing, drinking rather nice beer in Europe for Fifth List? Well, I think rather nice is a very splendid way of describing it, Benoit. Well, perfect. Then let's open this rather nice beer. I'm trying to do it the Vinny way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded very dramatic. I like it. Yeah. And it's spilling all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> all, all over the computer. <laughs> so just a local beer. And on, on my wrist is my cherished uh, Dirty Dozen uh, by Sima. 38 mil with uh, an extraordinary patina. I think it's probably a unique patina at this stage because the radium's just sparkled all the dye and it's uh, gone caramel in some ways. It's a really beautiful really beautiful and I was thinking well you know I've I hadn't worn this one for a while and it's going to be kind of a British show so um, <clears throat> and I know James likes watches from the from the 40s and and from the 30s too 100% so a good choice. I thought uh, yeah should be a good choice and I I regret not buying that Timor now that Brexit's uh, been and done mm-hmm. <laughs> how about you James uh, on wrist is a watch that just came in today, a 1954 Amiga Seamaster manually wound with an unusual uh, Denison English case. Really nice condition, uh, nice waffle dial, um, just a stunning piece. And this is the good thing about doing this, you know, I get uh, I get to try on all the watches before anyone else. <laughs> yeah, and as you say, it's a British case. Yeah. Are these those those with the big fat lugs? Exactly that. Yeah, the the bigger lugs, the sort of wider case, uh, snap on case back, which is quite unusual, but a strange placement of the gasket. And it's a patent pending case as well, which is quite unusual as well. So, I mean, all round, it's a it's a lovely watch and one I'm gonna cry when it sells, like most. Of them. <laughs> and and uh, you say it's Denison, so I I don't know much about the Denison, but it was a case company in in England at the time, I guess. Yes, yeah, and they made cases for many brands, most famously really for Amiga. Um, they just made high quality cases, and it was a way to get around the whole import tax and and system. Uh, companies like Amiga, even Rolex, would send the the dials, the hands, the movements. Um, to the UK and they'd get cased in the UK and, and finished and assembled and boxed and then out to the customers um, at, at UK VAT prices and, and tax prices. Yeah, and Denison was the most famous out of all of the um, uh, different manufacturers. I think he, he started off doing the American po- doing some of the American pocket watches first, didn't he? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I'm betting that you find a lot of these locally because there must be way more. I've, I've, I think I've had a, probably a couple of these in the past, but I didn't know that uh, it was specifically a British-made cases. But I bet that on your side, you must find them pretty easily. Uh, yeah, we, we find definitely a lot more than the rest of the world, um, but it is still very sparse, really. I mean, they pop up quite a lot in America, which is quite surprising. I think there was a period where Americans were buying these kind of um, Amigas with these Denison cases more, um, so it's a, it's a real mixed bag, but yeah, we definitely get more than, than most. And uh, Pippi, on your side, what's on your wrist? Uh, on my wrist today, I've uh, I've got uh, a Seiko, of course, but uh, today I've got the H558-5000, which most people know better as the Arnie. So this is the original Arnie from uh, this particular one is from uh, March 1984. Um, my so birth year. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's um, I've got a few from 84, actually, but... Um, 
so yeah, th- this particular one I bought um, uh, a few years ago. It was an absolute basket case. Um, all the loom had, uh, had fallen out the hands and adhered itself to the dial. It, it wasn't working, and uh, and you know I, I spend most of my evenings trying to fix watches, and and this one I managed to bring this one back to life, and uh, it, it's a little cracker now. It's 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 quite a big watch. It's forty five millimeters, uh, including the the shroud, but it doesn't weigh that big. It's it, it 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 suits. I mean, Arnie used to wear it, and it looked okay on him. And uh, trust me, my arms aren't as big as Arnie's, <laughs> and it doesn't look too bad on me either. So you know, it's it's a very versatile piece, and probably why it's so popular. I have a forty-five mil on my pretty skinny wrist uh, from Psycho, and uh, I must say that it wore really, really well. They really nail it with those large cases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what they do, but they whatever they do, they do really well. I've got the um, the solar sort of. Uh, Arnie reissue that um, has been dubbed the Arsehole, which is the Arnie Solar, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that's that's probably about the same size as this, a bit taller, but but actually, you know, again, it wears really nicely. So, yeah, they do know how to make a shrouded watch. You're mostly a psycho collector, but do you have any interest in British watches a bit? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I've I've got an interest in everything, to be honest. Um, I I got into Seikos because basically because I love interesting watches and. And yeah, you know, I'm sure James will tell you much more than I will about it. But Seikos are, are interesting watches that I can actually afford, and <laughs> part, parts are quite parts are generally speaking easier to come by. And and as so I've done, uh, you know, I, I spend most of my time, um, you know, servicing and, and repairing watches in my spare time. And uh, yeah, it's it's you know they're, they're great to work on generally. I think Seikos are perfect for that. You know, you, you mentioned affordability, and I think that's one thing that especially for people getting into the industry uh, and, and the hobby, but also throughout is, is the thing we always look for, right? We always say value proposition. These are terms we throw out all the time and Seiko really are that, you know, I, I try and get them in as often as possible because one, I love them and I think they're great. Um, but also, you know, they are very affordable and what you get is, is tenfold really. I mean, it's on par with the sort of thousand pounds to 2000 pound entry level Swiss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I'm getting, Thanks to uh, Roman and and uh, and Benoit and and all the other gang, I'm, I'm I'm learning much more. I've learned much more in the last six months a year than than I ever knew about other watchmakers and about um, especially about independence. And um, you know, I'm fascinated and uh, by the independence, but the bang for the buck that Seiko give you is unbelievable. And I'm I'm only really now learning what what amazing value they are for what what you get. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm. I, I have never found my personal favorite in cycles. I've had a couple. I had a world timer from 64 nice. from the Olympic Games, and I've had a Psycho Diver model. And I think, James, the probably the only watch I bought from you, James, was a Psycho uh, Alpinist. Yes, yeah. And uh, it just didn't do it. So I wasn't a big fan. So I, I've always struggled, even though I've always had interest in in in, in Psycho and in vintage Psycho mostly. Hmm. And I, I can talk about it because... The episode is going to be released in a couple of days, but I did a wonderful and a very long episode with uh, Paul from Ad Vintage Psycho, which will be out in a few days, and uh, and he uh, we did kind of a role playing game. So I played a a, um, a fictionist character, and and his role was to find the perfect vintage psycho for that person, yeah. and uh, and one of the characters was me, and he he he. Proposed uh, the the psycho uh, monopusher chronograph from the sixties, yeah, 
which is a watch I nearly bought from a friend maybe two years ago and just didn't pull the trigger because I didn't know much about it. And uh, and actually today, just just before we we started recording, and James can be a witness to that, uh, I actually just bought one <laughs> because it popped up on on Instagram, stars oh, aligned. I saw that. And, uh, yeah, and uh, boom, <laughs> you, yeah. you saw that one, Phil. Right? I did. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, Love, uh, absolutely lovely. Is that the one that's just been serviced recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. By by someone in the UK, but the guys in Germany. Yeah. And uh, if I just find the, I I just do a special um, a special mention because it's it's that kind of a of of buy you do. The hashtag is well, no, his Instagram account is at between the lugs with hashtags between the words with um, with underscores. Sorry, between yeah. underscore the underscore lugs, and he just posted it. And it's the perfect one for me. <laughs> Good price. So I just as well. bought it. Yeah, well, price fairly. You know, it's just uh, basically I messaged him and I told him, look, uh, I won't even argue. I don't need any photos. Just uh, PayPal or bank transfer, and here we go. <laughs> and <laughs> we it's, need uh, more like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I think a lot of people who I have bought watches from will say that I often work like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's just no fuss. You know, if you want the watch, if you know about it, just uh, just buy it. And uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really thrilled because. Uh, I mean, I I think it's just the one. So uh, so it's, really really happy. It's the perfect watch. I mean, congratulations. I think you know when you consider these monopusher single sort of minute chronographs, what do you, what do you mostly go to? It's the Chronostop for Amiga, right? And this wears the the Seiko wears so much better. There, there's no question about it. The case size is perfect. The the dimensions, the the dial, everything is perfect. Did you manage to get it on the bracelet as well? Um, I don't know. <laughs> no. I'm not asked. <laughs> it, it, I don't care. <laughs> it wasn't shown on a bracelet. It was shown on uh, uh, on a strap of some kind. Okay, where well, they still yeah. great on strap, but I mean the the bracelet as well. That they you can get the reproductions of. I believe yeah. it just transforms the watch. You know, they are like two different watches on a bracelet and a strap for sure. I'll I'll probably get one somehow in the future, but uh, you know, it's it's funny because uh, Paul suggested that this watch would be great for me. And I had nearly bought one a couple of years ago, and uh, and when I I learned about the movement, I mean the movement is beautifully finished. Mm-hmm. It's really like a Swiss quality, 100%. great finishing, and uh, you know just what an awesome watch. And uh, I don't think I've had watches from the sixties for a while now. So uh, it's a, yeah, basically I'm I'm very happy because I bought a CWC yesterday. I bought a Psycho today. I'm going to have a few watches to sell soon. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your space. Anyway, just um, <clears throat> coming back to you, James. Um, you, How old are you? Because you said you started five years ago, but you're fairly young. You're younger than me anyway. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm 23. So I yes. started when I was around 18. Yes. Yeah, so how did... Uh, I mean, you're one of the youngest watch dealers, uh, at least in Europe, for sure. How did transitioning go from collecting to dealing i mean how would you describe your journey you talked about it a bit already but um is it uh, do your does your collection is it separate from your dealing or is it all mixed together 
It's it's a real mix. I mean, there, there's some pieces in my personal collection that will never be sold, and that's always going to be the case. There's a, a, a beautiful zenith from the 70s that I'm going to keep forever, and a couple of pieces that obviously have uh, personal meaning as well. But the, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, the deal of mind is always there. So whenever I'm buying a piece for my own collection, like uh, I recently got a Cartier Santos um, Galbi mid-sized, the deal of bottom is still there because I, I'm running through prices. I'm seeing what I can get. You know, I understand. <laughs> I can get it serviced with my watchmaker at a less cost. So unfortunately, that part's always there. So the, the collection, while separate, uh, are definitely intertwined. <laughs> it's always the, at the back of my mind. Um, but in regards to how I sort of uh, got got started, really, I mean, I am fairly young to be doing this, and uh, we're, we're thankfully doing very well. And it was a very difficult transition period at the start to go from collector to dealer at you know, 18, 19 years old. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. particularly taken seriously by collectors or dealers. Um, and even still to this day, unfortunately, there's some dealers who still don't take me seriously. So it's always that constant battle of of knowledge and experience um, and youthfulness. You know, it's, unfortunately, they don't, a lot of people don't seem to think the two can come together, especially in this industry. You know, there is definitely something to be said uh, with the longer you're in it, the more you will know for sure. But there is also something to be said about, you know, uh, spending every day doing it. And even before this, when I was working full time, it was still in the industry. You know, I've worked retail at auction houses and all mm-hmm. kinds of different things. So yeah, it's, um, it was an interesting transition. Uh, and it definitely wasn't easy, but it's the best thing I've ever done for sure. And I, I think anyone who wants to do it, you know, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised you're saying that a lot of other dealers and people don't take you seriously because, of course, at first, and I've been following you probably since nearly the start, you know, when it's a side thing, you, you kind of wonder, hey, who's this guy? But I, I did the same thing at, at the time because I had a shop on Etsy. Mm-hmm. So basically, I sold vintage watches and uh, I had them repaired or restored if needed and then just sold them through the Etsy platform. Mostly for fun, and that that enabled me to have access to a lot of watches and to and to have them in my hands to experience them and to you know maybe get your fingers burnt a bit yes. because that's how you learn. And I'm I'm betting that you too made a lot of errors at the start, a lot of mistakes. I, I mean, we still do. I mean, it, it never ends, um, especially as you, as you grow because you know the scale goes up. As I said. We did seven watches today, um, and just today alone, four new watches came in. We've got five coming in tomorrow. I mean, when you're dealing with that many, you need more than just your eyes crossing over it because, you know, you will miss things. You will miss maybe um, a very, very good redial or a polished case when you thought it was unpolished, you know. Usually nothing too major, you know, it's not like a fake watch passes through, but dials and and, and hands or little things like that. So you always want to just make sure you've got other people looking over. So mistakes happen. But early days, 100%. I mean, there, there's there's definitely always going to be <laughs> going to be those ones. It's about learning from them as opposed to letting them sort of cripple you. How do you try and stay ahead of the uh, the, the fakers? I know, in, you know, for example, the Pogue. Uh, yes. You know, 99% of the pokes on, on eBay are, are just up full of aftermarket yeah, yeah. stuff. These yeah, days. 100%. It, it's and a real mixture. Some of it is so good. It's really yeah, getting yeah. amazingly, amazingly good. It's getting really difficult it's to scary. tell, isn't it? Yeah, it's scary. And, that, and that's in something like a, a Seiko. Granted, that's a Seiko that now sells um, upwards of four figures if it's a, a very good example with bracelet and etc. And all correct, as you say. But it's it's definitely a, a constant concern that watch dealers have. Anyone who says they, they're not concerned about it, I, I just don't believe them. But it's about having those processes in, in place. You know, It's about knowing where you're going to buy from before you buy it. You know, Are you buying from someone reputable or are you buying it off eBay? You know, There's a risk to that. If you're buying it off someone reputable, you know, you've got something 
a, a bit more trusted, but also someone where you can go back to if it turns out not to be correct, because not everyone is, is an expert at everything. But then it says, as I said, having the extra eyes. So we have a watchmaker check over every single watch we get through our hands. I personally check over everything before it gets to that stage. So usually things that aren't quite right, I flag up. But again, you know, mistakes are made, but that's where their expertise come in. And my watchmaker, uh, we have a, a modern watchmaker uh, and we have a vintage watchmaker. They're not all watchmakers dedicated, but they're, they're people we use. And the vintage watchmaker, he's third generation and has been doing it himself for over 30 years. And as a family, you know, it's, it's getting on 70 years and they've had a shop here in London for, for closing on 50. So, I mean, the expertise there is, is, is un, sort of, you can't put a price on it, basically. Is that uh, Jonathan you're talking about? Yes, yeah, Jonathan Anti Watch. He's the gentleman we use for, um, for vintage yeah, you, you do a lot of Instagram lives uh, with him and they're really <laughs> always a pleasure to watch. And I mean, um, what I like about your account and, and the way you do the dealing is it's it's always very positive. It's always very varied. So you see a lot of different watches, some watches sometimes you've never even heard of. I mean, I remember seeing that Ulysse Nardin with the camo dial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the hell was that? You know, and 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 in the Instagram lives with Jonathan, there's just so many watches being shown, and details being thrown in in a natural way. It's it's uh, just just like when you're scourging eBay just to gain info and and out of curiosity. But watching one of your Instagram lives and just checking your posts is just the same kind of. Uh, knowledge jumping out at you yeah i appreciate that i mean with the instagram lives me and jonathan we would often go to the pub and have many drinks and just talk about watches i mean it's, it's quite sad really it's all we ever do so we thought why not share that with people on on instagram you know start alive and just have watches on the table not our ugly faces you know we'll keep to the watches they're much better looking than us and we'll just talk about you know as we would usually sharing the watches the details what we know um and just engaging with people and it's a lot of fun usually we're uh with many, many bottles of alcohol in uh, by the time we go live. So it's always interesting as to what we're going to say. Well, I, I watched your Instagram live uh, quite late last night. It wasn't live by the time I watched it. And uh, I have to say, James, it was, it was a nuts. It's really, really good. <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. <laughs> you, you got, you got really lovely watches and um, you know, it came across so obviously that, that you guys know what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable. And I'm glad I didn't watch it live or I would have spent all my money. <laughs> it's a danger for sure thank you <laughs> but i uh, i i think that maybe when you were saying uh, a film about uh, the fakes um you've probably gained a kind of a kind of a network james of people who can help you when you're in doubt and i have the feeling that you've made many connections mostly in uk obviously but that gives you kind of a strength that you always have someone to go to when you have a doubt yeah, hundred. No, no, you're you're exactly right. I think, I think that the key to anything in life and, and especially business is having people around you who who you can bounce off. You know, who are, have strengths in areas you don't have strengths in, and that's exactly what building the network was all about. We have many group chats with different watch dealers and also collectors who are experts in in their own fields, and you know, you just run it by people. You get other people's opinions, and it's all just very organic and natural. And I think that's the that's the way it should be done. Going back to the business uh, part, where you you said that luckily everything went well from the start. I mean, it didn't really start that well because when you opened your office, I think maybe a month later there was COVID. And yeah, lockdown. yeah, that's yeah. right. So um, it actually goes even before that. Uh, so I was full time working a normal job in retail um, in the industry still, but but retail. 
And I went live, um, not by choice. I was unfortunately let go for conflicts of interest because of the business, although everything was already known. But, um, you know, something came up and it just didn't work out and I, I, I was let go. And it was the same week the Brian Watts show was on. So I was down there stalling. Uh, selling watches so i i went full-time right at the worst point ever because i had spent all my money for stock on that watch show that i had no money left in the bank to even pay my bills because i had expected a paycheck coming in (laughs) so luckily the brian watch show went very well and everything went good and then you know the the end of brexit was sort of happening in terms of the the sort of downfall of the market so the market was pretty good you know we were selling watches and then as you said coronavirus hit and it was right after we just got the office all sorted and painted and got all the all the uh, equipment moved in and everything and it was just it was like a real blow to go into lockdown after all this sort of up and again more money spent you know the office cost me a fair bit of money to get all ready insurance safe everything like that it wasn't cheap and then to to have that blow it was it was very difficult that's for sure yeah how have it you found it hard how, yeah, how, go ahead, how, how have you found uh, what's your view on how covid's affected uh, watch sales i mean i know in lockdown one um i probably spent a bit too much time on yahoo japan me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i I think lockdown, the first month of lockdown was rough. Um, You know, there wasn't many sales at all and it was looking very dismal. But then all of a sudden, it was like it was overnight. All of a sudden, everyone realized, you know what? It's not so bad. Like we still got our jobs, monies are coming in. We've now got mortgage breaks and they just all of a sudden had all this extra money. They weren't buying a coffee every single day. The holidays had been canceled and they just put all that money into watches Um, because overnight, all of a sudden we started having our busiest weeks on record um, and that just continued. Now, thankfully that that has gone very well and I'm very grateful for that. And it's continued to, to spiral uh, that way, you know, is, is the best it's ever been. Is that going to change after lockdown ends and, and things start going back to normal? I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I think the market is going to stay strong, but I think it's not going to be as strong as it is right now for sure. Mm. And what about Brexit? Yeah, interesting one with Brexit. I mean, I thankfully the sort of last six months of of last year, um, coming up to the end of of the deal and the the free trade, I was one hundred percent focused on the UK sales. So even over December, we had a pop up in Savile Row, which is one of the most iconic uh, streets in in London, and we were very fortunate to have that location. That was just about again doubling down on our our presence in the UK and in London. So because of that. Uh, hit January, we we were selling all of our watches to the UK, and it, it's proved very very well for us. And I think the UK is a strong enough market. You know, we have enough people, and if anything, it's actually made it better for UK dealers. And that might sound like a a strange thing to say, but before this, a, a UK buyer could compare my price with every single person in Europe, uh, and you know they they could use that as a negotiation tactic. And 100%, it was a fair negotiation tactic and something you had to work with. Now it's not so much because they're going to have to pay their import tax on that, the VAT, so 20%. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's narrowed the market down. So from the buyer's perspective, it's not as good. <laughs> and yeah. even from my perspective as a buyer for the business and also my collection, it's not so good. But from a selling yeah, perspective, I'm, it's worked. I'm, I'm just going to say, as, as, as a French collector, the European market to me is there's mostly... France, Germany, Spain, Italy that have, uh, and maybe the Netherlands and Belgium that have like the fairly priced watches. Mm-hmm. The watches in, in the UK are a bit higher, most more often than not, but uh, there are some pieces that you don't find elsewhere. And uh, there's, there's Switzerland just in the middle, which mm-hmm. no one buys and sells from and to. 
because they have the taxes, but they have kind of an internal market with a lot of money. So they basically buy and sell between themselves. And you have some people who can export because they're, they're at the border. And I was wondering, maybe, do you think that that um, that Great Britain is going to be a bit like Switzerland, like an, a separate market in Europe where most buyers and sellers are in the UK because, and, and with a difference in price and in availability than on the major European market, which is mostly by Germany, France, Spain, and Italy. Yeah, I think you. I think we're already seeing it. You know, we're becoming our own separate market in in the watch world for sure. Um, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's either. I, I think it's a bit of both on both sides, of course. So, I mean, we're just gonna have to see how it goes. It's been two months now officially, um, and things are okay. You know, I, I can't I can't complain too much. Um, although I, I would like to obviously see. I mean, free trade would be great, or at least a better deal <laughs> for as, as watch dealers because twenty percent is. And, and collectors because 20% is, is huge um, and I think a fairer deal maybe down to 5% could could make the world of a difference Where do you, I mean traditionally, um, or say traditionally last few years, where have you been sourcing your watches from and are they mostly from the UK James or do you source from Europe and all over the world? Yeah, so um, this year, since since January, has been all pretty. I would say ninety eight percent UK. Uh, there's been a couple of watches here and there from Europe, or uh, I buy occasionally from Singapore as well. There's a couple of good dealers I know out there with very nice, um, very nice models of like Midos and things like that. Um, but for the most part, yes, the UK. And last year, it was a it was a big mix. I mean, I would probably say about sixty percent UK and forty percent Europe in terms of sourcing. Um, because you know the Europe has some great watches as well, especially vintage Amigas. I would always find really nice, very fair priced Amigas that I know will do very well here in the UK. Do 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 you think that the transactions between the US and UK will grow with the US dealers uh, selling more and more via well, sending more and more via Parcel Pro, so you get kind of less taxes from that too? Sorry, cut out. Then what was that? Yeah, no, I, w- I was wondering if uh, you think that the transactions between the UK and the US will increase uh, to match the decrease with the European market. Because now we have ways, well, sellers from the US have ways to send to Europe with Parcel Pro, which means that there's a bit less taxes than before. So, and that's getting more and more uh, common. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's always very tough to judge these things. I'd like to say it would, um, but I think the the smart thing for any sort of business um, in the UK is to to right now double down on the UK. You know, um, hope for the best, especially with other countries and Europe and everywhere else. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst and and make sure your marketing is great in the UK and you've got your UK buyers just in case the uh, the best case scenario doesn't happen. <laughs> well, the the um... VAT changes are, are have already hit England. Apparently, they're going to hit Europe uh, from July. Uh, it's a Europe-wide change to the VAT regulations, uh, Benoit. So look forward to that. Um, yeah, but in, in uh, Phil, in what way? Because I'm I'm not right. So uh, so at the moment, I know. I mean, my you know, I spend most of my time looking at Seikos, and and, and there's a, a a really famous Seiko guy called Spencer Klein in in the states, and um, at the moment they have paused shall we say um i believe selling into the uk because of the changes in the vat rules which is the, you know, mm-hmm. the sales tax basically um 
because now if you are a, f- a foreign company selling into the UK, you have to pre-register for, if you're a certain size, you have to pre-register for VAT, you have to pay money up front. And a lot of a lot of uh, people around the world are saying, well, you know, stop that. I'll, I'll just go and I'll sell to other markets. Thank you very much. Stuff the UK. And, and you know, that allegedly is coming into the rest of Europe, so I believe, uh, from July. But it's already hit the UK, and, and there are people who are already saying, do you know what, I can't be bothered. Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, I, I've done two transactions so far uh, in 2021 with the UK. I bought a couple of uh, Breitling uh, links for my aerospace because I'm selling it to a larger list. So basically, I paid 50 quid uh, for the links, Mm-hmm. And I pay twenty six euros of tax, <laughs> so so I was pretty bummed. <laughs> then I found the CWC, which I'd been looking for for a while, and a great first owner, lovely story, a lot of background. I'll be uh, showing more of this in my Instagram in the following uh, weeks. And uh, I said, "What the hell? It's a fair price. I bought it off eBay. I'm going to get taxes, but." For the price I paid for it, even if I get 20%, I don't really mind, uh, considering the watch. So I don't know how I'm going to be taxed on it, because it's uh, currently shipping. But uh, I'm really wondering how it's going to go. Am I going to get taxed or not? How much? So it's 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 really a very, uh, very obscure uh, picture for now. On my side, anyway. I don't know, James, if you've had any feedback from the European, like French, German buyers or sellers. Yeah, I mean, uh, sellers-wise, uh, I've just had to halt buying from uh, from Europe. I've got a couple of really good dealers um, and France and Spain um, and Germany as well, actually, that I just haven't bought from this year. And before, I'd be doing multiple transactions a month with them. So it's um, it's a big disappointment, but I, I saw it come in, and I think a lot of people in the UK did see it come in as well. Um, you know, it, it hasn't come as a surprise to me. It's definitely a bummer. I wish it wasn't. I wish this wasn't happening, but I, I'm not surprised. I mean, we had enough warning with all this so I, I got prepared thankfully well, we, well you had warnings on your side but us in europe we, I, I didn't have much info to be honest but anyway well we'll see how it how it goes we'll just hope that uh things will get better oh 100 i mean i just i wish none of this ever happened really it would <laughs> it'd have been a lot Fucking easier great. So, you know, you <laughs> it, sake, you know. <laughs> yeah not all of us voted for it no no yeah, exactly no, what a shame <laughs> And well, you know, it's it's kind of a very British thing to leave something that you've never really been into. You know. <laughs> uh, anyway, I can't say that because I've lived in the UK, so yeah, you, you know what we like. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I love you guys. I just wish you'd not be just so stiff. <laughs> anyway, well, aside from the dealing part, I mean. Um, What's, what does your collection look like today, James? Your personal collection? Yeah, it's a, it's a real mixed bag. Um, if you looked at it, you'd probably think I'm eclectic as anything because I've got all the way from a 1927 14-carat white gold uh in a square case all the way up to a 1970 41mm Amiga stop dynamic mix-up thing um, and everything in between. You know, I've got a couple of Cartiers. I've got a Tank and a Santos. Uh, 70s Zenith. I think for me, when you look at the collection, you'll see it's a lot of obscure, unusual case shapes. A lot yeah. of 19, sort of 20s, 30s, 40s, um, and, and that kind of stuff for me personally. Because I think when you become a, a dealer, you see so many watches, and it, it, it can become a bit overwhelming at times because most of them do look, and this is going to sound awful, but very similar round cases, 36 to 40 mil, you know, that kind of thing. So for my personal I collection, I get weird and wonderful things. That's why I like. 
What's your favourite? Oh, that's that's like trying to choose a favourite child, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> that's easy. That's easy. I've only got one. um my favorite would have to be my 1970 amiga uh deville chronostop um it's unusual most people have never seen it Uh, it's a beautiful watch it's incredible i absolutely love it yeah i I bought it actually as stock so this is the trouble with being a dealer as well and i'm a very bad dealer because i try and keep everything um but this one came in it's box and everything It, it would have been the best deal ever if i had sold it because it was i bought it so well but I just couldn't part with it, so I've kept it for over a year now, <laughs> nearly. <laughs> oh yeah, really? I, I don't it might be, remember. Be yeah. Really wrong, actually. I, it might actually only be six months. I mean, times all merge together with lockdown. <laughs> yeah, uh, but see, your your collection to me reflects really uh, the watches you like and the watches you deal. Because the first time I saw that uh, that chronostop with that case and dial. It was on your account. I didn't even know that what existed before. And it's really, for people who, who don't know, it's basically an Omega chronostop, so mono pusher, but it's not got the usual oval cushion shape. It's got a round dynamic uh, case. And the dial is uh, matte finished, I believe. And really, really, really beautiful dial. Lovely. Yeah, it's a Fume Grey original dial, DeVille signed, yeah. um, and as you said, a dynamic case with a integrated bracelet. And the same um, for those out there who've, who've experienced a dynamic, it's a screw back that holds the the bracelet on in sort of like a pod. It's it's very unusual, but it's uh, it's exactly that. And it, so many people had never seen one and had constantly asked me, you know, where can I get one? Where can I get one? I managed to source <laughs> one almost identical, um, and I, I find myself doing that a lot because I collect very unusual things. A lot of people really want those kind of things and, as well. Um, you you have a love for square tank vintage yes, watches yeah. from the from the early twentieth century. Yeah, I, mean, I, I bought that uh, Zentra from you all that time ago. Yeah, <laughs> lovely watch. What a watch that was! A military too. I I was wondering because at the moment we we're seeing a lot of hype on the Cartier watches, mm-hmm. and uh, basically all the most famous and most beautiful uh, Cartiers have become very 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 overpriced so people are hunting down the the lesser known ones the santoses from the 80s the quartz ones the basculant the ones that didn't get much notice before and all the strange shaped cartes and i'm i'm wondering as they're small watches and they have very specific designs could it be that we might see uh, more popularity in those vintage uh, 20s and 30s watches you know like the Glovers? With all those crazy art deco cases and yep. uh, and dials, do you see that maybe as a new trend? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's definitely going that way. I, I've always been very interested in that, even from when I started, um, and I've always collected those kind of things. And back then, you used to pay very little for them, and now they're they're definitely going up in price. I mean, as I said, uh, one of my personal ones is a fourteen carat white gold Bulliver uh, in exactly yeah. that case from nineteen twenty seven. It has actually an exhibition case back. When you open the the solid case back, there's a plastic cover over the movement to see it, uh, like a dust cover. It's incredible. Um, and and that kind of watch, you know, I've never seen another one like it. And people offer me silly money every time I post that on Instagram. So I, I think people are definitely getting into it more and more. I saw that on your feed. That's an amazing oh, piece. I love it. I mean, my, my partner actually wears it more than me now because I'm 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 crazy. I swap my watch every like four minutes, I swear. But she wears it regularly. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a beautiful um, rotary on your on your website at the moment from the 30s. 
Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely stunning. Massively underrated as well. Um, Art Deco, very, very cool on a bong clip. Uh, comes with its original. And this is the great thing about rotaries from that period. They had Bakelite boxes. And if you can find them with those, they're so cool. It's like this flimsy plastic case that feels like it's going to fall apart any moment. It's like the charm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy piece. And um, uh, that rotary watch, if it had Cartier on the dial, I mean, you just would mistake it for, for a Cartier. Yeah, I mean, if it had Cartier on the dial, it'd be insanely expensive, especially when you consider like this rotary, it's got, um, uh, the, it's, the movement basically comes out the front of the watch and it's got screws in the back that go through the lugs themselves. Like it's a really strange and interesting design. Like you just don't see it often. Um, and I think everyone's so, as you said, focused on Cartier because it's the hot thing at the moment and, and rightfully so they're beautiful. I mean, I own two of them. So obviously I agree. <laughs> um, but these interesting vintage watches from the twenties and thirties, I think offer a billion times more value at a fraction of the cost. And I think people are sleeping on them at the moment, but it's growing for sure. Yeah. You, you have seen it grow because I remember at the time when I had my Etsy shop, I was scrolling through all those nine carat gold blowers with the crazy art <laughs> deco designs and with the crazy crystals, like you no know, domed, uh, sided crystals. Like some weird box things, yeah. Yeah, and do, do, do you see them more popular now? Yes, definitely. It depends on which ones we're talking about. I mean, there was a lot, and those bullivers there's a lot of them that are gold filled cases as opposed to the solid gold cases and the yeah. gold filled cases the american cases aren't so popular still unfortunately you still pick those up like 100 to 150 pounds all day long um but the the more interesting more unusual odd things are definitely getting more traction i mean it's it's kind of what we try and specialize in because it's what interests me for one but also where i think things are moving to you know it's sort of being part of the trend <laughs> Yeah, it's just uh, jumping on that. You said you specialize in. Um, you have a very varied uh, range of watches, going from very cheap, like uh, Seiko's or even uh, WMT Steinhardt, yep. modern, vintage, some some indies too. Um, what kind of watches make it to your website? Yeah, what's your yeah. philosophy? So yeah, specialized was probably the terrible word because we specialize in absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's, it's so varied, it's insane. Um, yeah, I mean, for for me, the the whole point was when building the website, every watch dealer I knew specialized in in you know selling just Rolex, selling just Amiga, selling just this, and yet every collector I spoke to was so far from that. One of the first collectors I actually ever met um, had an FP Jean and a Seiko 5 in the same collection. You know, that was kind of like the, the wow moment for me that people collect from both polar opposites. So I wanted to stock a website and a store that had that same sort of uh, polar opposite uh, way of looking at things. Now, as you said, we, we stock things from a couple of hundred pound vintage watches all the way up to, we recently just sold a, uh, a Langenzon Saxonia 37 mil white gold, full box papers, you know, every, a beautiful, amazing watch, nearly 10,000 pounds. So that kind of spectrum, so for me, what makes it to the website is whatever I really like. You know, if I if I see it and I love it, uh, I will I will stock it on the website because I know someone else will love it as well. And I think that's the, I think that's what people were drawn to with with you know what I've curated here because I think it's very clear it's not just what is the best profit. You know, what am I going to make the most money on? Because there's a lot of stuff on there that really, you know, you're looking at it's 150 pounds. I mean, how much money could I possibly make on that anyway? <laughs> you know, it's very obvious I'd sell a lot of what I love. But um, usually the, the dealers that specialize, 
their main argument is, well, we specialize in Rolex, Patek, mm -hmm. and uh, whatever, and, and AP, because you can only really know no, the brand or, <laughs> or models if you concentrate on it. So of course. What's, what's your argument on the other side? My argument on the other side is if you surround yourself with enough good people who know as much as you, you know, in the different areas, you know, I, I have people who specialize in those things for sure. I've got collectors who I know, um, who know everything there is to, or, or nearly everything there is to know about Cartier, who know everything there is to know about Rolex. You know, it's about having these networks to bounce off for the things you don't know about. Like there's no way in the world I could know every single watch brand and everything about every single watch brand. But when we get a watch in, you know, I, I take the time to learn about the brand, learn about all the different things and then find the people who know enough um to make it to make it work for the for the business as well you know these people aren't wrong the the dealers who do it the way they do it like that because of that specializing factor you know that's 100 correct and a right way to do it but i think if you treat it a little bit different and more as a collector um you know you can you can open up a whole new world for sure and also you know use the collectors the, the our buyers the collectors are also people who help us with with validating stock you know confirming what's a radar what's not you know it's it's very interesting to use the community and i think that engagement process is kind of a, the appeal as well and you're doing it more and more with the refinish or don't refinish the dial polish or don't polish the, mm -hmm. the case yeah it's a constant debate i mean We we battle with it all the time, you know. Do do you redial? Uh, do you refinish a dial if it's got uh, overly overly damaged patina, or do you polish a case if it's like vintage? Oftentimes, what we try and do now is is leave it to the person who's buying it. You know, we will provide it in the condition it's in, as long as it's not absolutely you know mangled and terrible. <laughs> we'll offer it in a in a good sellable condition, uh, which is obviously fully working, serviced, etc., etc., with warranty, and then let them choose. You know, do you want to get the case polished? okay cool we'll get the case polished do you want the case refinished uh, and the dial refinished cool let's go get that done so we leave it up to the collector because at the end of the day if you're going to buy the watch I and wear it that's really true. awesome yeah definitely yeah. definitely i mean I, i i know where you're coming from i've got a, a one grand seiko which is a, a vintage five six four five nice and uh when i bought it the the, the dial was absolute you know it, it was toast um all down one side so i paid to have the the dial redone from someone i know And, um, uh, you know, ever since I've been thinking, should I have done that? Should I have done that? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing there. That's good. It's a constant debate. I mean, as collectors and as dealers as well, we always have the debate, you know, should you do it? Should you not? I, and it changes, you know, the 15, 20 years ago, watchmakers will tell me and watch dealers will tell me it was a different world. You know, if your vintage watch didn't look brand new, people wouldn't buy it. Um, whereas now if, if they've got a refinished dial, people scoff it. It's like what it should belong in the bin instead. It's, it's hilarious how the mentality has changed to buying. And I think you've just got to keep aware of what collectors want and also the market you sell to, you know, I sell to collectors. Collectors. Whereas some dealers I know, John at Anti Watch, he's retail, you know, he's had the shop there for 47 years. It's walk past customers, which are, are very different. So it's about being aware of, of who you're selling to as well. Yeah, just sorry, James, you're cutting off a bit again. I don't know why this is happening. I think I it's probably the internet in the office, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's not particularly great. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Brexit. It's Brexit. Yeah, yeah. It's because yeah, it's for sure Brexit. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Brits, come on. <laughs> um, and, uh, the, the audio is all coming through fine on the wave, so you, you'll have it all posted. I'm, I'm sorry yeah, about yeah. it. I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm supposed to have optic fiber, so come on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
you seem to have very good relationships and with with the indie brands, and you were also selling some Fizz watches when you had that uh, sales point, uh, that that pop up store. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What's your relationship with the with the current British brands? There's kind of a big renewal in British watchmaking for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, you've 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 hit the nail on the head there. The British watchmaking scene is growing, what seems like daily, and it's exciting, really. Um, I, I am a stockist for Fizz watches, and the the London stockist for them, and we had them at the pop up shop, as you said. Um, I mean, I found out about Fizz watches at a Salon QP event uh, many years ago. I used to attend those, and I, when I, when I first saw them, I, I actually did a video on YouTube and said they're lovely watches, beautiful design, but they're so overpriced. I don't get it. Like, what? Why? Why are they? so expensive and then i commented about every other brand i saw that day and just thought nothing of it and then one day i get a phone call and it's uh, nicholas of fears watches the the uh, managing director and he's like james i'd love to take you out for a coffee and and talk about our pricing structure and a bit more about the brand and the history and the watches and, and maybe you'll understand a bit more and i was like wow okay let's let's do that and it was incredible to have you know someone take the time out of their day to explain to me why they do what they do you know most people would just be like ah oh, this this kid knows nothing whatever <laughs> Whereas he took the time and explained it to me. And that was probably four years ago now. And it's been a growing friendship and relationship since. Um, I've been to every single launch for them. I've helped them out with many different things. And I've been a huge fan of the brand. Um, you know, Nicholas is a person one of the nicest people in the industry by far but as a brand you know what they're doing is incredible they've taken this company that has been around for so long and just reworked it in such a way that that's amazing to see and the the collectors are going crazy for them i mean they've sold out of all their steel watches um and there's a huge wait list for their salmon brunswick and you can see why yes. it's beautiful and that salmon dial is just a killer piece 100 percent. and i feel like that's what nicholas has done so well he's connected with collectors and taken the thing we love watches and heritage and combine them together without being like another brand right he's not just taken his vintage watches and reproduced them and said here you go here's our vintage reproduction of this and that's great you know there's brands out there that are doing that like nevada and i think they're fantastic but he's taken a different approach he said what if i created watches as if the founding members were still here today what would they create and that's what he's done and i think that's 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 amazing yeah i, I can say i i love what um i love what fears have done uh their, their watches are great. I mean, they started off with you know, more simple ones to to build up a bit of traction, and and you know, he's, he's grown his complexity, if you like, and, and is what the, what the output is is really nice. And and to top it all, I've heard Nicholas on a on a few different podcasts, and he seems such a great guy he's, he's amazing uh, i mean it's 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 incredible really because uh, if you've ever met him he's he's incredibly well spoken he dresses imp like amazingly uh you know full suits everything the lot and if you've met me you'll know i'm the exact opposite i can barely string a sentence and i dress in jeans and a t-shirt and every time we meet we go to nando's and we have the best chicken ever and we look like complete opposites sat there but we have the best conversation and we get on like anything is brilliant you know he's the nicest guy ever you do realize everyone thinks you're his rent boy that's it. I mean, what what can I say? <laughs> Hang on. Uh, did you say you eat chicken? Yes. Yeah. Of course. I, I mean, That's no, no, we didn't do on that. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's the British hen house. Don't say things like that. Just, I'm sorry. Just I'm sorry. I'm never going to be allowed on again. <laughs> it's only snow's enemies. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'm not worried about snow. She can defend herself. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but do do you do you see more attraction from the UK collectors for these uh, UK uh, brands? 
like a kind of a um, how do you say uh, you know patronism. Uh, yeah, patronism. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think there's always something nice about getting something that's made in your own country, you know, or, or at least, you know, been designed and put together in your own country. And, it, and this is what Fizz do very well. You know, they're not saying we're, we're completely all 100% British made. Like, they very um, open on their website about where the cases come from, the movements, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think when you've got a British brand and you're British yourself, there is something quite nice about that. You know, there's something, um, definitely the patronism is, is there for it and i think the uk is a very patriotic place you know and uh i, I think we we gravitate towards that for sure i mean it shows in itself I, I sell a lot of christopher ward as well and they they do very well bremont you know i get quite a few bremonts through the door and again they do very well um so yeah for sure well you know as as a french collector i i would want to buy more french yeah. but i bought a christopher ward and i and i bought an anordain and I'd probably love to buy uh, a Fizz watch, you know, that, that blue or that salmon dial, they're just awesome watches. And I just wish the fucking French would do better watches. <laughs> but you, <laughs> but also, you also bought a really nice lip recently. Yes. Yeah, yes, but that's vintage. It's not the same. I'm talking about the modern brands. So oh. I, I, Yema's doing good. I think I'd probably buy a, bite, um, a Baltic someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I honestly think that the Brits have the edge for now on the indie and microbrand scene. And yeah. I've got that, I mean, when Christopher Ward, I keep talking about this watch, but when Christopher Ward came out with a super compressor, I mean, my <laughs> eyes popped out. It's just yeah, it's a such a cool, nerdy, geeky watch. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, they hit the nail on the head. And I think, as you said, with the, the independent side as well, I mean, just look at, obviously, what... Um, Oh, uh, his name just left me. Roger Smith uh, is doing, you know, it's, it's absolutely insane. And obviously the history with George Daniels as well. I mean, we have some serious watchmaking history here in the UK and I think more brands need to, need to sort of be aware of that. We are, we are a competitor, you know, obviously Germany and Switzerland and and Japan are the main places for sure. Um, But I think UK is going to put itself on the map more and more as the years goes on. Well, you're based in Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell used to be, yeah, the, used used to be every other shop was to do with watch manufacturing, wasn't exactly. it? Or, or watch yeah, sales. Yeah. You're, you're is, is, is that why you chose Clark and Well? It, no, it, I mean the history has always been something I've been fascinated with, and I've, I've visited this area. Obviously, we've got Hatton Garden around the corner as well, the Diamond District, which now famous for watches as well. Um, so there's definitely history here, and it was always an attraction. But the truth is, um, Jonathan Antique Watch, his shop is right underneath us, and um, his his office is actually upstairs, and we share the office, so it just works out really well. And he gave me a really good price, and uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I wanted to do a watch focus. I asked you to choose three watches, but maybe Phil, you have another question before that. Um, well, James? One one question that comes to mind is uh, you, you mentioned a while ago that it all started pretty much for you when when your your digital ran out and you went out and bought a, a vintage Citizen. Mm-hmm. Have you still got it? I've still got it. Yeah, vintage uh, Eagle Citizen uh, Citizen Eagle Seven from nineteen seventies. Oh, lovely! Um, it's amazing. The Jubilee bracelet originally came on has fallen apart now because uh, I wore mm. the hell out of it back then, um, but now it sits on a nice leather. And I'll be honest, I don't wear it uh, pretty much ever. But every now and again, when sort of um, things get a bit rough with the business and it's a bit difficult in the office, I'll put it on. And it'll sort of remind me of where it all started, and that even in the darkest days, it's still good. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, awesome to hear. Awesome. So, uh, watch focus. 
Uh, I wanted you to give us a focus on three different timepieces, your choice, any watch, one vintage, one modern, one indie. What do you want to start with? Uh, James? Sorry, it cuts out then. Um, so yeah. the the vintage, it has to be a Mido Powerwind, uh, multi-four Powerwind, if you know the model. Do you know them? Yeah, well, uh, I know... I know that you're very fond of them at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, and you say at the moment, I mean, I, I I do cycle through quite often, but I absolutely love the watch. I think the Mido is definitely the best. And again, I'm, obviously I'm going to come from a collector and also dealer perspective. So in terms of value proposition, they're offering some of the best value in vintage. You know, I've got this beautiful 37.5 mil version and it is just perfect. The, the movements and the the multi-four, the way it all came about, they actually reduced the amount of jewels from 17 to 7, and it's what sort of put them on the map, actually, back in the day. Um, I think they're some of the best yet in vintage. It's funny because before, I only saw very small cased meadows, and yeah. now we seem to, to see more and more larger ones pop up, very similar to the Movado designs. Yes, yeah, and I think there's actually a connection with the case makers because I've had some Midos and Movados that are identical cases. So I think I'm going to have to do some more research, but I'm very confident they actually use the same case makers for sure. Gorgel cases, maybe. Potentially. Or others, I don't know. Potentially, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what you have currently in your collection or for sale? Uh, it was a bit of both, yeah. It was in my collection for three months and now it's for sale. <laughs> And you're hunting for more meadows and you have uh, always, meadows. yeah, always, always more meadows. I mean, I've got a couple and uh, we just sold another one today actually with an 18 karat gold bezel, really unusual. Um, yeah, always more. If anyone has any, hit me up. <laughs> so, meadows are sleepers, go by, go, go by them. Yes, and yeah. what's your choice on the modern piece? Um, to talk about, yeah, so modern, I. I'm going to talk about a piece that recently went. Um, the reason being, I, I feel like more people need to give attention to to brands that... So the brand is Ulysse Narden. Uh, most people have heard of it. Most people think of their horrible watches like the Freak and many other weird things they've done. But we had the C Marco GMT. Um, really interesting, unusual watch with a very interesting GMT function. And I think massively, massively underrated for just a bit over 2,000 as a full set. And they do it with Salmon Dial as well, which is one I'd actually personally try and get. I think they're some of the most interesting watches in the modern sector at the moment. And because it's from a brand like Ulysse Narden, most people just completely look over it. Is that the one with the with the with the Arabic numerals, like a, like a military style a bit, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, and it had the two pushers on the case, so it had a plus and a minus pusher to change the central uh, central hand and a display disc for the GMT. Really unusual. Yeah, very very strange watch, and uh, always great designs with this Ulysse Nardin, and you 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 really put them in the spotlight recently. I find. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked their sort of, I think, 90s pieces and in, in early sort of 2000s. I'm sorry, I really can't hear you. I don't know if it's the... It's breaking up a lot. Sorry, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, it's no, the, I think it's the internet here. So yeah, it's I'm sure it's not you personally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I haven't drank that much. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, so, so, sorry, I'll just go ahead. But maybe, I don't know, if you have something to plug in or get closer to... Uh, unfortunately or... not. No, unfortunately yeah. not. I'm right next to the, the yeah, well, uh, Clark and World so doesn't just, have good internet. <laughs> just go ahead and we'll try to decipher. 
Yes. Um, so I think they, they just offer great value. That's the main thing. And especially the early 2000s pieces and late 90s, they did really interesting things. And because of where they ended up going with the, the sort of freak models and other models, it's just put them... Mm-hmm. It's put them in a bad spotlight with collectors. Um, but I think if you can look past what they're doing at the moment and look at their vintage, you're going to find some great pieces. Yeah, the, there's a lot of brands uh, coming back with their designs from the 80s or the 90s, like Bulgari. Yes. Are doing. And you've got that awesome chronograph too. I th- it's, 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 it's probably sold already, right? Uh, no, no, it's not sold already because I'm personally fond of it and I keep wearing it. <laughs> I keep delaying it going for sale. But yeah, I mean, I love Bulgari as well. I think what they do is incredible. And it, I think the jewelry brands, you know, you hit on a point there. Um, the jewelry brands are doing some really interesting design wise and also great movements. I mean, the Bulgari um, Octo Finissimo, I mean, you you know personally, incredible, yep. incredible. It's what I like about it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really a modern design. Meaning that there was nothing really old about that design. It it just came up now, and to me, it's a reflection of our time. So uh, it, it's it's not like buying a sub where the subs existed and the de- design's been there for years and years and years. So or or even a Royal Oak or a Nautilus. And uh, I think I know that you one of your dream watches is the Royal Oak, right? It is, yeah, the fifteen two hundred two ST. So the most classic uh, to the original. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I've had a Royal Oak from 2004, the 14790, mm-hmm. which was a really, really great watch. It was, it was my grail watch, and I really loved the experience. But I sold it to, to buy the Bulgari because that Royal Oak design, it's a bit outdated to me. And okay. I, 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 I was not confident having a modern watch with an old design. Mm-hmm. I was thinking if I have a modern watch, it's, it, 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 it's better if it has a modern design. And, it, and if I want the original one, then I'll just go buy an AOB series, you know. <laughs> yes, so, <laughs> so, so the Bulgari really fills that hole and, and plays that role. Whereas the Royal Oak, well, you know, it, it was a bit misplaced. So I'm, I'm just wondering, I know that one day you'll get that Royal Oak. And I'm pretty sure that if you get a modern one, you move to something else. Potentially. I mean, it's an interesting point. And when you put it like that, it's definitely uh, something to think about. But then I, I you could argue it's the same with the Cartier tank, really. Um, or the Santos Galbi, you know, these are these are vintage designs that are still done today. Yeah, I, I feel like if they're done right, it can still be incredible. Yeah, of course. And and the Royal Oak is an incredible watch. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's uh, it's 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 clearly... Uh, a, a real hitter. Definitely. But, but it's an uh, interesting point you make, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, of course, the limit to that is is the price point on the vintage pieces. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, because, uh, of, otherwise, we'd all have A-series relogues <laughs> and we'd all have original uh, Cartier Saint-Trés, you know. Oh, that's just not possible. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day. <laughs> yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, uh, and the watch, I guess, is going to be a Fizz watch. Yeah, you're spot on. It, it would be the Fizz salmon for me. I think it's the... The best watch they've done so far. They've got something very interesting hitting tomorrow, actually, uh, Friday. So when you're watching this, you'll see. Um, but it is, yeah, I mean, the the salmon for me all day long. Yeah, I, I think they're going to make it again. I I just saw, because I was looking at it on their website, and you can sub- subscribe to 
to be warned when they release it again. Probably yeah, I mean, they're, they're constantly producing them. It's, um, they're just selling out. So they've. I'll, I'll let you in. They've got 90 plus people on the list <laughs> waiting Whoa. for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's insane. So that's how well they're doing at the moment. And, and you know, hats off to Nick for, for doing what he's done with the company. It's incredible. And they deserve every bit of success. Yeah, I agree. Any other indie brands that you like, personally? Um, it, sorry, it cuts out. Is there any indie brands I like personally? Yeah, other indie brands that you like. Other yeah, I mean, I, all of them, really. I mean, I, I'm like you guys. I think, <laughs> I think what, what they do is incredible. Um, I would always love an FP Jean. Um, it would be a long time grail for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean... I think that's where the future of watches are, right? You know, in terms of collectability, I think that's where people are gravitating more and more towards, um, and we're going to see that grow throughout the years for sure. You've got a beautiful uh, Habring uh, up, yeah. up at the moment. A dead, yes. beat, dead beat seconds. Oh, man, if, I, old, if I had the money, you wouldn't have that up for any, any more. <laughs> I think what they do is incredible. I mean, the the story behind the brand of Habring is is great on its own, but then their watches are even better. Uh, we had the the doppel split uh, chronograph um, from them as well that went recently, and uh, that was another piece that was just stunning. But the Felix Blue that we've got in, I mean, that's the best alternative to a chronometric blue by FB Jean, in my opinion, hands down. You had three Habrings. There was one That's Felix, right. one, one uh, beat second, yeah. and the double chronograph. Yes, yeah, that's right. And the, I mean, they're all incredible. The jumping seconds is so cool because to everyone else, it just looks like a quartz watch. I mean, it's it's really interesting that now people want that because back in the day, you know, Rolex used to make a true beat and the true beat was not popular at all. People used to actually get Rolex to convert them back to a standard automatic. I mean, how, how crazy is that? And these go for crazy prices now. The Rolex yeah, is yeah, just, exactly. it's just insane. But it's, it's funny because see, uh, when I say that what you have to offer is very varied, I mean, you're the only dealer I have ever seen selling a second-hand Anodane watch. Yeah, yeah, we had an Anodane, Habring, uh, we've had FP Jones in the past. You know, it's for me, I think independence, uh, uh, as I said, the future of collectability, but also I think they just what they do is so fresh it feels so good you know you get you get one in and it's exciting you know i get a rolex of mariner and sure it's going to be a, a good day but it's not exciting you know it's, it's a very different <laughs> feeling um so when you get the independence in it's definitely something to shout about for sure how do you let them go <laughs> because i would be living on the streets as a watch dealer otherwise <laughs> yeah but you'd have such great rocks watches on your wrist <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Okay, what's uh, what's the future for for people watches, James? Oh, it's, uh, it's something that changes weekly at the moment with how things are going. I mean, the the focus right now is to just to continue with the scale and the growth uh, that we're currently currently getting. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to get a few more people involved uh, and scale up a bit bigger, uh, potentially a bigger office. But I think focusing more on more on the unusual. I think that's what what we're going to become more known for, you know, having the things that no one else has seen. As you said, you're, I'm one of the few dealers you know who have ever stocked an Anordane, you know, pre-owned. You know, I think focusing on that kind of thing is going to be what makes us stand out for sure. Yeah, I I think you should definitely capitalize on that. And uh, you were talking about maybe a podcast? Yeah, on? so um, I'm, it's currently in the works. Um, we're working on a podcast. It will be... 
myself and someone else as a co-host, but it's not going to be really about watches. I'm going to be leveraging that side of the the watch thing to get business people in, but it's going to be more about business and marketing, um, but p- potentially with a lot of watch guests. So people like Fears from Nick, uh, Nicholas from Fears Watches and, and other people, but focusing on the business, the marketing side and the that sort of angle, because as we spoke about, I, I feel like there's a lot of podcasts now and a lot of content on watches, which is great and it's the best it's ever been. Um, but I, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, can't hear you, James. Uh, no, I've lost you. James. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I was just saying uh, the podcast is going to be slightly, slightly different with um, with the business side of things and marketing. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Thank um, you. Phil, Phil, do you have any questions? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> thousands of them. I mean, right, go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Like you know, um, I take it East Midlands. But originally from from Leicester, yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're spot on. <laughs> yeah, so so why London? What what brought you to London? Watches, uh, watches and business. I mean, watch dealing in Leicester. There's not really much of a market, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Leicester. It's yes, it's, uh, many ti- many times. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly uh, on the up, unfortunately. So um, London was the obvious choice, and I think the place to establish myself. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the city and and that way of life. You know, I live out in Essex. I mean, how, how long ago did you move down from Leicester? Uh, moved down from Leicester. F- Five years ago now, yeah. I, I originally moved actually to to Bracknell, uh, High Wycombe, sorry, and then Bracknell, and then to Guildford, and then back to London. I've been all over, sort of Surrey and 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 London area. All right, I lost you completely there. I, I I heard up to Bracknell, which is about five minutes from where I live, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I originally first moved to uh, to High Wycombe, uh, which was for a retail yeah. job in the watch industry, and then from there to Bracknell when the new shopping centre opened. So I was there for that, uh, working for a retailer there. Oh, you're there for the opening, yeah. That's, I was that, there. For that, the that's actually a really nice shopping centre. Yeah, which, it is. which amazed me because being in Bracknell, I thought. Be <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember going to Bracknell before the shopping centre was done and having a look around. It was, um, yeah, not very nice. And then they put out that shopping centre and it looked great. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah, and then from there to Guildford for an auction house, and then uh, to London. Yeah, okay. I mean, in in terms of um, going back a bit more on topic, in in terms of watches, I mean, obviously you've got a, a as you say, you've got a really eclectic collection. Where where would you say your um your line is between the the aesthetics of the watch and and the movement of the watch? Are you, do you, would you ever buy a watch just because it's got a really interesting movement, or, or would you just buy you know to stick to a watch because it does something for you when you look yeah, at it. I think I'm probably way more on aesthetics than I am movement. I mean, movement is obviously important and uh, I, we, we assess every movement as they come in. So I see a lot of them and I'm always blown away when we get a very beautiful movement in. But for me, if the watch doesn't look beautiful itself, uh, it won't really yeah. do anything for me. Um, you know, it, this is why Langer, I think, get that perfect mixture because their movements are beautiful and their execution on design is also incredible. And I think if you can combine the two, you've got yourself yeah. the the perfect mixture. But most of the time, those pieces are the <laughs> the ones that cost an arm and a leg. So for me, I focus more on design because that's more than more what I can you know afford personally. Yeah. Uh- and also, I'd imagine most people buy on design because, let's face it, you look at a watch, you don't, um, you don't think about the movement. Yeah, but yeah exactly. When, when you when you uh, get a watch in, do you, do you um, do you take the case back off and have a look? Or oh, I seem to have lost both of you. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you, great Phil. Uh, James, James, James sometimes is, you is, cut off, but uh, James has gone ahead. completely. I think. 
is flat is flatlined for me. It's Brexit. I can hear you, James. I can hear you, Phil. <laughs> well, <you're, laughs> I can you're, hear you both. There you go. You'll have to translate between two. Look, we're having quite some uh, some interferences, so I think we'll just have to to wrap up. Phil, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Yeah, James, you can hear Phil. Oh, can yeah. James James hear me? Yeah, yeah, James can hear you. So I think you're the only one who who's got a shit internet connection. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Brexit. <laughs> Brexit. A fucking Brexit. <laughs> no, but uh, I think we'll just wrap this up. We, we, we've already had a blast, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what we usually do is Instagram recommendations. So, uh, Phil, I'm going to ask you first. Do you have someone to recommend that we go follow on the gram? Okay, yeah, I'm going to uh, recommend a, a fellow Frenchman, a guy who lives in Paris. Uh, he's he's uh, uh, at Burtnet69. Yes. Um, and he is, he's one of the uh, the premier Seiko collectors in, in the world, and he is such a nice guy as well. He, he really is. He, 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 he must have a time machine with the, with the, with the insane <laughs> pieces he gets. I don't know how the hell he finds them in original packing with the blue sticker on the back looking like they, he just bought it from the shop in the 1960s. Um, but he, you know, he, he's just a really nice guy who'll give the time of day to anyone and, and talk to anyone about watches. So, which is, which is what it's all about really, isn't it? Yes, very famous French collector, and we talked about him in the Psycho episode uh, that I last recorded. Oh, so. it, has he already gone? Uh, no, 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 you can mention him. He's He's been mentioned amongst many others, but if you have another one, just go ahead or think about it while James... I'll think while about James, it while James yeah. goes. Oh, go ahead, James. <laughs> yeah, watch MOG, right? Watch MOG. Yeah, he's got a beautiful 24-hour dial, Jezel Coultre. Some lovely vintage pieces there. Didn't follow that that account. It has 438 followers. Yeah, awesome. Lovely vintage pieces. Uh, Phil, did you find a second one? Uh, yeah, I recommend uh, a guy I've got a, a lot of time for. Um, a guy called... His account is at Neil Francis one No spaces or anything. N e i l f r a n c i s and the number one. Uh, Neil has got uh, quite a few interests outside of uh, watches in terms of design and typography, uh, and just he's got a really interesting feed. Um, and he's what's just, the what's the name again? N Neil Neil Francis one N e i l f r a n c i s and the number one. Uh, He's a really smashing guy. I mean, he's a guy I talk to a, a, a bit, you know, in DMs and things, and he's a member of a couple of groups I'm into. Um, he's just, he, he's a, he's, he's got interests outside of watches, but everything he's interested in is really interesting. So you need, <laughs> so you need to be careful because there's a fair few rabbit holes you can fall down. He's got a lot of, uh, like, a very varied collection too. Yes. Lots of nice vintage pieces. Yes. Awesome. And uh, just so you know, Phil, James uh, recommended Watchmog, Watch M-O-G. So you can go and have a look at it. I'm going to recommend a crazy account, which I stumbled upon recently. So just, you know, hold on to your chair, because this is really uh, 
a great one. It's Lange on uh, NATO with a dot between each word. So Lange dot on dot a dot NATO. And well, it's basically a collector who has a lovely longer watch, wears it on a NATO and he, I mean, the shots just take the piss out of every lifestyle watch pictures that you can find on Instagram. So, like, <laughs> so if you if you look at uh, like you know what we see all winter, watches in snow. Well, he's got a watches in snow post, but he's just peed in the snow next to it, and <laughs> he does the uh, the the pocket shots, and you can see his belly. And he just, I, I'm, I, I don't know. He just doesn't give a fuck. He just wears his longer on a NATO, and that's just for that. It's awesome. But the snow, so, the snow one. Yeah, yeah. I, I point out that the NATO matches the peak. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's, uh, and I just had to mention it. It's just so crazy. And uh, I don't know the guy, uh, but uh, I'm I'm sure we'll be able to talk to him someday. He he also wears oversized NATOs on some watches, which is pretty fun. <laughs> I bet you didn't know that account, James. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, uh, it's been a blast, even though we couldn't hear you some of the time. Uh, but I think I got the most of it. And uh, really, it's been a real pleasure to have you on on the show, James. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think the tracks will be okay. Uh, it's uh, it's it's probably just just uh, Brexit, as we said. Um, just a few words before we end this uh, for everyone listening. Just follow Fifth Wrist at Fifth Wrist on Instagram, and leave a review of your watch on the Fifth Wrist website. It's a community based website for anyone can leave a review of their watches uh, with pros and cons. It's a fun uh, fun thing to do, and uh, we're hoping to get a lot, a lot, a lot of reviews, so don't hesitate. If you want to get involved in the Fifth Wrist community, you can contact us uh, via contact at fifthwrist.com or send a DM to any any of the hosts of the podcasts. Follow at PP on Instagram for Phil. Uh, James, where can where and how can people find you? Okay, great. And uh, just to close the show, I always have one last question for the guest. So, James, what is your next watch going to be? Okay, can't wait to see that one. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see it soon on your feed. <laughs> anyway, wherever you are around the world, everyone, thanks for listening and stay on time. Mm-hmm.